0: Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at FUMCBentonville.org or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok.
1: Good morning. It is a blessing to be with you all today. I'm Pastor Michelle Morris, and I welcome all of you, along with Pastor Andrea and those of you that are joining us online. We are in this series called Under Reconstruction, in which we're looking at how people are deconstructing their faith, particularly on social media. Today, we're going to look at some, some questions around gender, particularly in relation to Christianity. And I thought, considering this is your last day of having two women as pastors— uh, for a while, at least, um, this, that, that would be a good entry point into looking at uh, questions around gender in Christianity to look at what it means to be a woman called into ministry. So to, to help us get into that topic, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 16, uh, beginning with verse 9. A vision of a man from Macedonia came to Paul during the night. He stood urging Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. Immediately after he saw the vision, we prepared to leave for the province of Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We sailed from Troas straight for Samothrace and came to Neapolis the following day. From there we went to Philippi, a city of Macedonia's first district and a Roman colony. We stayed in that city several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the riverbank, where we thought there might be a place for prayer. We sat down and began to talk with the women who had gathered. One of those women was Lydia, a Gentile God-worshipper from the city of Theotira, a dealer in purple cloth. As she listened, the Lord enabled her to embrace Paul's message. Once she and her household were baptized, she urged, Now that you have decided that I am a believer in the Lord, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes, that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So the title of this sermon is, really the long title, is Strong Enough for a Man but Made for a Woman. Some of you may recognize that um, from the old secret deodorant commercial, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, it, was, it was a long slogan for them in the 1970s, 1980s for sure. And I've got to tell you, as a kid growing up in those, in those days, I loved that slogan, like women can sweat too, <laughs> right? It was, it was very exciting, it was very empowering, it was a message that, that really made me feel like I was, I was at the table and could do good, strong work out there in the world. Now, we recognize that that slogan sort of evolved a little bit and has dropped off because now there's all kinds of critiques like things around the pink tax, things that are made specifically for women, which are priced higher than made for men. I'll admit that I buy men's razors because they're really good and they're cheaper. And I also buy women's shaving cream for the same reason, right? It's, uh, so, so there is some evolution that has happened. That's not a slogan that would necessarily work these days. And, and that points to the fact that, that we've been challenging gender constructions for a long time. And that's evolving uh, as the days go on. And empowering more and more people to see themselves and envision themselves in more and more realities of life. And that's where we come to this this question of where women fit into Christianity. Because this is still a deep and challenging question. And it's one of the things that, as I mentioned, online people are challenging. Because there are still a number of denominations that will not allow a woman to stand here like I am standing before you right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so as I, I was preparing this sermon, I thought, I'm going to go to Google and just see what's out there. We'll see what happens. So you know how, I don't know if you've seen like interviews with celebrities where they'll like, like, who is Ryan Reynolds and then see what pops up from there. Well, I just put in to Google women pastors to see what were going to be the top questions that popped up from that. And here were the top questions. What does the Bible say about women pastors? Can women or can females be pastors? What are female pastors called? And how many and how many women serve as pastors? And I will tell you that we're going to answer those questions today, except for the one what to call a woman pastor. <laughs> I, I don't have a good answer for that. Just call me Michelle. <laughs> pastor, there you go. There you go. Uh, okay, so but, but we're going to answer some of those questions, but before we get to those, I thought I might share with you some other questions that tend to come up as a woman in ministry. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I was preparing this is I sort of asked myself, when do I remember learning that women couldn't be pastors? And I will tell you, I learned that after I had already joined a denomination in which we could. It was when I found out that it was somewhat unique that the Methodist Church allows women to be pastors that I realized they couldn't be. Now, I'll admit, I visited a lot of churches, a lot of different denominations growing up as the resident heathen that you all know that I was as a child. Um, And they were always men standing up there preaching. However, I also grew up in an era where there were a lot of professions that women could serve in but you mostly saw men, medicine, politics, things like that. So I didn't know that women couldn't serve as pastors until I found out that in the Methodist church, they could. And I encourage you to, to reflect on that as, as other people go into other denominations. and uh, for In particular, I, I'm meant to call around to the non-denominational churches around here and find out if, if women could serve as pastors there It was a busy week. I was being a pastor, so it didn't happen. Um, But I did try to research online, and it's silent out there. And the very fact that it's silent, the very fact that they don't say, yes, women can be pastors here, means you have your answer, most likely. And don't be fooled by husband-wife pairings. Um, Ask who really has the authority in that space. So... I'm serving in a denomination, thankfully, that empowers that. Another question that I get asked fairly often is, how do people respond to you when they learn that you are a pastor? First, you have to cover how people respond to me as a pastor, um, which they they immediately quit cussing, and they hide their alcohol, (laughs) and they tell me how often they go to church. And that just happens. It doesn't matter male or female. That's what's going to happen when people find out that you're a pastor. But then when they find out specifically, you know, they think, oh, a woman pastor. Then I get treated like I'm some exotic zoo animal. (laughs) Oh, I've never seen one of you before. And I I think about one of my favorite stories to tell around this, Um, and you need a a little bit of background. You need to hear a story from Numbers 22. It's kind of an, an obscure story, but there's a story in Numbers 22 in which a man named Balaam is riding his donkey, and the donkey stops, because the donkey can see there's an angel in the road, but Balaam doesn't see the angel, so he's beating his donkey to try and get it to move, and God empowers the donkey to turn around and say to him, hey, there's an angel in the road. Maybe you should focus up, right? So you need to know that story. So I was serving in a place where there was a community Martin Luther King Jr. celebration. And as part of that celebration, the pastors were all invited to gather in the back and we would process in together. So while we were gathered back there, we were all going around and introducing ourselves. I was about midway through. I mentioned that I was the associate pastor of First United Methodist Church. And a man across from me went, ooh, congratulations, And I said, thank you. And then we kept doing the introductions. Well, afterwards, he came up to me and he said, I'm I'm sorry, you know, if that was a little bit of a strong reaction. I've just never seen a woman pastor before. And I'm so excited to finally meet one. I really think that it's, that's an important thing and that, you know, more churches should allow women to be pastors. After all, if God can make a donkey speak, why not a woman? right (laughs) now I knew he meant it as a compliment (laughs) so I thanked him for his support but I thought you know there is a jackass in this conversation (laughs) I know I don't think it's me And then there are of course some of those other other instances in which it's 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 harder you, when you really encounter, and I encounter it a lot with women who who uh, who have real problems with women being in ministry. And there was one day I it was coming out, I was going to go get Soren, pick him up from school, and it is pouring down rain. So I'm running out. I don't carry an umbrella. I have this thing about umbrellas; they make me kind of claustrophobic. So I'm running out to my car. Well, this woman flags me over to her car. She rolls down her window, and she says, um, is the pastor in? And I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, no, 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 not you. The other pastor, the man pastor, is he in? Yes, he is in too. Now, I am getting steadily soaked as she is saying this to me. And then she says, well, um, is, are you sure he's there? Yes, well, when I left a minute ago, he was in there. Well, where in the church was he? Well, he was in his office can just go in please so i can anyway she finally she says thank you she goes in i go get my son i come back and the senior pastor as i walk in he's standing in the in the office and he goes well you missed the show and i said pretty sure i caught act 1 <laughs> in the parking lot he said this woman came in she had a pile of books for me and she said she she wanted to give me these books because she was so honored to be in the presence of someone so holy and so good, and someone who had a call on their life from God. But then she gave explicit instructions not to share these books with that woman because she is from the devil and is not to touch these books. So he said, you want those books? <laughs> I said, nah, it's good. We're, we're good, we're good. And that's, those are the kinds of things we come across, and some of those, some of the, those are blatant, but some of them are, are just, they're a little quieter objections, and, and I'll admit that you all have women pastors, so there's some people that are never going to come in this church because of that, and there are some people that are going to come in this church, and then they're going to come up with an excuse for why they have to leave, and it's all kinds of excuses. I've heard all kinds of excuses. When I was serving in a ministerial alliance, they had a... Uh, a thanksgiving service in which the pastors always gathered and sang together as part of that service and I had one of them pull me aside and said, You know we know that you 're one of us, but but really for these for these hymns, we really need just men 's voices men 's voices." make it sound better, like, like your high voice is going gonna, is gonna to wreck it, so please just don't sing with us. And I said, uh-huh, I get it. Now, we opened every ministerial alliance meeting with a song, and I sing lower than half the men that were there. My, my go-to karaoke song is 16 tons, y'all. <laughs> right? So I sing a low voice, but I, I knew what they were doing. It was their, it was their excuse. And the reality is, this profession is the last, as far as I can tell, the last remaining profession in the United States that you can legally bar a woman from doing it. You can legally bar. I even looked up the NFL. And there is nothing preventing a woman from playing professional football as long as she can you know, make it through the tryouts. As long as she's chosen, she can be in there. But because of separation of church and state, we are protected from having to have this field open to women. And because scripture says no, there are many denominations that also say no. So I know that you all get asked. You get asked, how can you have women pastors? So we're going to deal with what scripture says and we're going to deal with the no. But before we get to the no, let's let's look at the yes, shall we? So let's start with the Old Testament, the examples of women leading the people of faith in the Old Testament. There's Deborah, who is a judge. There's Miriam, who is Moses' sister and is a prophetess. There is Lady Wisdom in Proverbs. And in Joel 2.28, and i looked this up to make sure this wasn't a translation choice. In Joel 2.28, it says... Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Both are mentioned. Then when we go, of course, into the New Testament, we see that Jesus empowered women right and left, starting with God empowering Mary, Jesus' mother, to carry the word into the world. And then, of course, we have the woman at the well, who is the very first one that confesses Jesus as Messiah and then spreads that out and draws many people to Jesus. There's Mary of Bethany and Martha who serve faithfully and lead the church. And then there's Mary Magdalene. And these women went to the tomb. If they hadn't gone to the tomb, would we even know Jesus was risen? They're the first ones to carry the gospel. They are powerful evangelists in their own right. And then we know in the early church, we we heard about Tabitha just a couple weeks ago. How significant women were in leadership in the early church. And then let's, let's look at Paul. Because Paul is, where, Paul is where we run into trouble. Right? But Paul is who gets this message to go to Macedonia. Paul and his companions. Right? And I love this story that, that's told to us. Because first of all, it's in a vision a man tells Paul to go to Macedonia. Someone recently raised the question, if if the vision had been a woman, would Paul have gone? Because I think Paul had to have a little bit of conversion here too, right? Um, But but God sends a man in the vision, and then it's it's women that he encounters in this space, particularly Lydia, who is a dealer of purple cloth. She's a business owner. And it's Lydia whose heart God opens it's Lydia that God puts the call on. And then Lydia gets her household, her household, baptized and invites the apostles to her home and creates a house church in that area and then empowers Philippi to be a significant church in early Christianity. And leaders in Philippi include Yodia and Sentuke, who are two women So we know that the Philippian church is led by women. And then there's Phoebe. Paul gives Phoebe the letter to the Romans and says, take this to Rome and present it. She preaches it, y'all. She preaches it. And in that letter, Paul mentions Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila were married, but Priscilla is mentioned first, which means she was more significant to the community than her husband was. And then Junia is listed as an apostle. And some translators of the Bible have changed that to Junius to make it a male name. Except Junius did not exist as a male name in Paul's time. So it's, it's them reading into that saying, oh, surely. Surely Paul didn't mean a woman was an apostle. Paul did mean a woman was an apostle. So then what happens with Paul? Paul. Because it's, it's Pauline letters that get this objection to women. So let's look at those. In 1 Timothy 2, uh, we're told that a woman shouldn't teach a man, should not have authority over a man. In 1 Corinthians 14, women are effectively told to sit down and shut up in church. In Titus and 1 Timothy 3, they mention the characteristics of a good leader of the church, and they're all mentioned to have a wife. And then Ephesians and Colossians have the household codes, which is basically just, you know, look like Romans. And the reality is each one of those passages can be explained by context. The First Corinthians passage, it may very well, scholars believe that what's happening there is that there's a group of women who keep interrupting worship with questions because they're empowered to have those questions, and Paul is basically instructing, tell them not in the middle of worship. Let's talk about it later, right? And then when it comes to Timothy and Titus, Ephesians and Colossians, most scholars believe that those were written significantly later, at a time when the when the Christian church is really facing persecution, and as a persecuted church, it's having to make decisions. And what they hold on to and what they let go of in order to stay around. And what they're choosing to hold on to is confession and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Which itself was revolutionary and contrary to what the emperor demanded. If we got to let go some of the leadership of women in order so that we don't stand out so much. Let's do that for a little while. But the very fact that they raised the objection means that it was happening women were leading the church but in their context some adjustments were made and maybe that meant more people joined the Christian church at the time but context matters and we're in a different context now and when it comes to how we view women if we continue to sideline them we're not speaking to this reality to help us get an understanding of that, I want to show you uh, a couple of videos um, where we can see what our context is like now. When I tell friends that I have female pastors in my church, they're usually very impressed or very like proud of my church, knowing that like we're taking a step forward. Having a mother as a pastor has been sort of an odd experience. I'm sure most I'm sure most people who have jobs that move around a lot, I'm sure they understand how that works out. And I mean I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time with it while, while it was happening. Uh, the moves the moves hurt a little bit, but you get to know new people. You move on friends.
2: Good, times. Good times.
1: So you can see uh, from McKenna who, uh, who shared with us, and I, what she says is pretty common among our youth, that they're excited to be part of a church that empowers women, and that speaks to their reality. And, and I mean, every other field does it. And then when I asked my son, at first I was like, you didn't understand the assignment, right? Like I wanted you to reflect on what it was like to have a mom who was a pastor. But instead he answered what it's like to have a mom who is a pastor. The very fact that it was his mother didn't even hit his radar. He just wanted to reflect on what it's like to have to move around all the time, right? Because it's, it's not even a question that this generation would ask. And the very fact that there are still some denominations that don't stand in that space and empower women is out of step with the context. And so that brings me to the fact that I am so grateful to serve a denomination that for a long time has led out. We started ordaining women in this denomination in 1956. 1956, and thank God for all the women that have paved the way for me. I am here and serving in this place, standing on mighty shoulders. Andrea got here ahead of me, JJ ahead of me, Susan Ledbetter ahead of all of us. Sarah Bainbridge is part of this congregation, and she has served. For all the women that have have broken through the stained glass ceiling, so that we can serve, I am grateful. But I am especially grateful for a denomination that allows this. You know, when you survey all of Christianity, about 11% of churches are, are uh, led by a female pastor. That's all of the denominations. In the Arkansas United Methodist Church Conference, in our conference, 28% of the people that are in professional ministry are women. 20% of our ordained elders are women. We still have a little, we still have a ways to go. But we're ahead of the curve. We're ahead of the curve. And I'm so grateful for that. And then I want to specifically lift up this church and how you have supported the women in ministry who have been here and encouraged us. And we... All those stories that I told, none of them have happened here. All right? I am so grateful to be in this place. And I am told, I was told by the district superintendent, that when it came time to to ask for a new pastor, that specifically this church named, that they would be open to a woman serving. Y'all, I still have 20 more years or so to go in ministry, and I've served several so far, you may be the only church I serve that names that. Thank you. Thank you for being that church. Yes. Thank you. And, and in reflecting on how, how much I value this church, I also recognize that, that Andrea has gotten to serve here too. And since this is her last Sunday, I thought we would close out this reflection by letting her come forward and share her thoughts on this as well.
2: After what Michelle has taught us today, um, but I do want to say as a history buff, um, in the 19th century, we, um, when we merged together, we had to regain our rights in 1957, but women were um, fighting for a voice and to be um, ordained as well. But a good old Methodist compromising always happens. And so we, yes, we compromise a lot. But we did regain our rights to vote in 1957. But anyway, so thankful to be in this church that has always been trailblazing um, um, as to have, um, yes, yeah, Susan Ledbetter came before, before JJ and I. And JJ and I were the only duo in the state that was um, two women and a white woman and a black woman. So trailblazing. And then Michelle came, and so we're still trailblazing a white woman and a black woman. <laughs> and so as I, as I, if I know the history here, I'm the first black woman to serve at uh, First Church of Benville. So, again, trailblazing. And, um, yes. <clears throat> and it, it says a lot about this congregation. I mean, it says, it says a lot about this congregation. You have welcomed us here as uh, women in ministry. And also, um, um, to, to make it so normal, the babies I baptize here, they've had a black woman to, to baptize them. They have seen a black woman being here preaching. It's normal to them. And also a woman, two women, it's normal to them. As Michelle said, this, this, um, the kids um, that are coming up as babies and also as teenagers and young adults, it is normal here in this congregation, and it will continue to be normal for those little um, boys and girls here in our congregation that says, yes, I can have a call to ministry. I can be here. I can see myself, and that's all about ministry, to be able to see yourself up here. And um, I, one, of the, um, one of the babies were up here, yes, um, um, Brenda's daughter. What's your name? Allison. Yeah, she was up here um, playing around those little, um, was a little um, podium up here. She had her Bible, and I said, are you preaching? She said, no. I said, you sure? You, you have your Bible? I said, it looks like you're preaching. And I said, um, I said are you going to preach one day? And she paused, and she said, well, maybe when I'm 12. Um, so <laughs> but, you know, that, to say that, to, 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 to say that, and don't be surprised that you come back around and say, Mom, I'm called, I'm called to ministry. You know, those things, you know, being able to see somebody in, in, uh, that looks like you, that, you know, that empowers you. And that is a trailblazing, we're a trailblazing church. And a part of that, you know, just so, something to, to, to grapple with and to, to know that this is not the norm, but it is a norm for everyone that walks in this space. And that is something to say, hey, yes, we do that over here. And it's normal. <laughs> yes. And another part of that is that, you know, a part of that is also just who you are as a church. Nobody taught you how to be hospitable. This is the most hospitable church I've been to. And I don't say that just to say because I'm here, but I've been to a lot of churches. I've been to a lot of churches. And you are hospitable. That's who you are. My mom said this first service, my mom came here on Mother's Day, and she had a receiving line. You know, just, I mean, I mean, just lined up. It is who you are. You're a loving church, and continue. I don't have to tell you that. Continue to be who you are, and continue to be trailblazing for those in our community in Menville. And matter of fact, a lot of um, we had the, um, the signs before it said "All are welcome." You start seeing around the the city. It's like, who who's doing this? It's not us. <laughs> you know, we we are that congregation. We are we are the trailblazing church on this part of the state. And that's something to be proud of and continuing to walk in that space as well. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at FUMCBentonville.org or on Venmo at FUMCBentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin economic station and political ideology we come together in action and outreach aspiring to follow jesus's example of radical hospitality love and grace as a transformative movement in our community please join us for worship on sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m both in person and on facebook live all are welcome and we'd love to have you with us grace and peace